Faith is the victory. Do you believe that? What faith? Tell me what faith. All right, so we have this word that we use a lot in Christianity, right? Faith. What is faith? What does it mean to have faith? What is faith? Is there one faith? Is there many flavors of faith? In fact, if you go out these doors and you make a left or a right, you're going to bump into some place that calls itself a church, right? Whether it be a church or a tabernacle or a temple or, uh, or something. You have the Catholic Church right behind us. You have the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You have Jehovah's Witnesses. You have all these different groups who all claim to have the faith. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. So how do we navigate that? What do we do? We just say, well, it doesn't really matter. Just choose one, find your favorite, get your favorite flavor and join in. Or maybe we think of Christianity as just like big buffet with you got the turkey here, you got the Baptists who are the gravy, right? Because we immerse, right? We dunk. And as you have all these different options, you have the Presbyterians over here with the sprinkles, right? And we have all these different options here at this buffet. And so you just choose the one that you enjoy the most, right? It's kind of like a have it your way, kind of like a Burger King or something like that. Or is there a particular faith? I'm going to tell you that this verse in Jude has helped me solidify my understanding of what faith is. What is the faith? But I'm not going to give you a, a heads up. I'm not going to ruin the suspense as to what it means. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to, to, the, to Jude. And we are going to try and do all of verse 3 today. We're going to try. Now remember a little bit about Jude. It's a, it's a letter, very small letter, one chapter long. So it was written at a certain time for a certain people group, but I would say that this is a timeless letter. This letter applies today just as much as it did when it was written because it's dealing with false teachers, apostasy, some of the th same things that we deal with today. So Jude 3 is calling us to an urgent purpose. And we're going to look at what this letter says. So if you have your Bibles open, I want to just go ahead and read verse 1 through 4 so we get the context. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, or beloved, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. 
Father, as we study this passage, Lord, we know that there are false teachers preaching a false Christ this, this morning uh, to the city of Sierra Vista, to members of our community. We know that there is such a thing as a false faith. We know that there are apostates. We know that there are so many different things, and it can be a struggle to understand what you would have us do sometimes. Lord, and that's such a, a disappointing reality that we live in, that we cannot look on the face of Christ and enjoy Him in unity and in truth. Father, But however, I, I know there's a purpose in this. You have a, a good purpose for why this is. So Lord, I pray that as we study our passage this morning, that you would open our ears and lighten our eyes and, and strengthen our hearts to stand firm for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Help us to contend and not be contentious. Father, I pray that we would uh, reject all false substitutes and we would take the pure milk that comes from you and your word. Lord, I pray for the churches who are preaching a true Christ this morning in Sierra Vista. I pray that you would strengthen the pastors to not neglect this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And they would not preach their own opinions, but preach the word of the living God. Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace to me. I pray that I too would be found faithful on the last day. And Lord, I pray that this body of believers would be able to approach the last day with confidence, that we would stand before the risen Savior or, or hit our faces before the risen Savior and that we would cry out, Lord, we've, we've done what you have asked and, and we uh, long to be found as faithful servants. God, I pray that you keep us as your word promises. Preserve us as you say that you will. God, we ask these things in the beautiful name of Christ through the power of the Spirit. Amen. So did anything stand out to you from this passage? Well, I would say there's quite a bit in here. But he first off, Jude starts this urgent purpose by recognizing who he's talking to. He says, beloved... Or he says, my dear friends. So he's going back to verse 1, which are those that are called, loved by God, and kept for Jesus Christ. So they're loved by God, and so therefore he loves them as well. And Jude cares for these believers in a personal way. He views the people he is writing to as Christians. And he says, I view you as God views you. Loved. Loved by God. And, and this is a transitional marker. I don't know if you, you understand the, gram the grammar or the way that it's laid out, but he is transitioning from his greeting, moving into the body of his letter. So it's kind of like me saying, hey, how's the weather? Great. Hey, by the way, by the way, this, you know, can I borrow your lawnmower? By the way, can I do this? Can we, can we make a, a, have a meeting later? And so he is transitioning to the body of his sermon. Now, if this was a traditional sermon, verse 3 would be the purpose statement. It would be the purpose of his letter. The entire letter is predicated on this part here, this verse here. So it's really what this letter is all about. And so I wanted to rush on, right? I wanted to do verses 3 and 4 today, just like I only did 1 and 2 last week. But... We have to stick around here on verse 3 to understand what this is about because 
Some people have taken the mysterious nature of Jude and used it for all sorts of things and said, no, Jude is really about condemning false teachers. And the reality is, I don't think that's what Jude is doing. He does condemn false teachers in here, but that's not his purpose. His purpose is to prevent apostasy. His purpose is that people would see the beauty of Jesus Christ and remain in him as he is in them. He, his, his purpose is that we would behold Jesus in this letter. And so that's the purpose of this letter is, is for us to magnify Christ and to see Jesus, to be transformed by him. But he says there's something that's going to stop that. There's something that's going to cause you to stumble, right? He's like, we were running a race. It was getting exciting. We were getting to the, the finish line, but somebody threw a boulder in the way and we have to watch out. There's that obstacle, and that obstacle is what he's going to continue to write about. So this is the purpose statement. Let's go ahead and read it again. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share or the common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. So Jude wants to write and celebrate their common salvation, their faith, he finds it necessary, or he's pressed into it. He has an obligation. He says, I cannot neglect my obligation. Just like me, I cannot neglect my obligation to preach to you the full counsel of God. There may be parts in here that I struggle with. And I, if I was to skip that and just say, well, that's too difficult. Let's move on to the next step. That would be me failing to do what I am called to do. So... He has to write to the church about this other issue. The necessity has not been softened today, though. So what Jude is finding a necessity, I also find as necessary. We have to pay attention to this. There is something going on in our churches, in our communities, in the Christian faith that is cause for concern and alarm. You should be aware of this. It's an appeal for us today to contend for the faith. That's the, the whole thrust of this, contend for the faith. And we don't want to hit what that means yet, but I want to give you an illustration. I, you may be sitting here wondering if there's any examples of false teachers or false teaching today. Okay, nobody's wondering that. I guess everybody knows. That's, that's the reality we, we live in. Uh, there's, a, there's a story that goes around an illustration about an old fish who swims by two younger fish and says, how's the water today? And continues going. And then the fish are like, the two fish look at each other, the younger ones are like, what's water? Right? We live in a world saturated with false teaching that we don't even recognize it anymore. You know, it used to be that we could say, no, that's wrong, and that's right. But we have been inundated with so much false teaching that we just accept everything. Everything that glitters is gold to us. Right? This is all Christianity. Right? Every single flavor is Christianity. In fact, we've even softened it. Right? It used to be really, we were very sturdy. Right? We said no, Mormons or Latter-day Saints, whatever they want to call themselves this week, is not the Christian faith. But now we're saying, well, there's some who are Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. We would say, oh, well, there's some in there that are. And we begin to really soften it. And now what I'm, what I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that people 
who identify with these organizations may not have a right understanding of Christ, but the doctrine that they teach is counter to the gospel. They have a different Jesus. So you guys know this. I'm not teaching you anything new. The truth is that much of the false teaching in the church today comes in the form of music. Anybody ever wonder that? It comes in the form of music. We sing our theology, right? We say faith is the victory, but what if someone twisted what the meaning of faith was in that song, right? There's many, many songs out there that twist our understanding. And so when something happens, when someone teaches from the Bible, that you're like, but my song says this. So I can't believe what you're teaching from the Bible, right? Because the song has gotten into me. Have you ever wondered why teenagers have such a weird worldview? It's because of the music that they listen to, right? The more they sing about these boyfriend songs and loving and losing and, and I have to have a boyfriend or, or it makes me feel good when I have a boyfriend, you, why are you surprised when they go look for a boyfriend, all right? The songs that, that we listen to are teaching us something. So we really do sing our theology and many groups produce excellent music. I think I've even shared this story where I was listening to Be Thou My Vision. I was just like, these girls really know how to sing this song beautifully. But there was some like a weird verse in there. I just didn't quite understand. And I was not mature enough in my faith at that time. And they were talking about high end to kolob. And I was like, I wonder what that is. And so I Googled it, right? Because that's what every person in my generation does to get answers. So I Googled it and it's a Latter-day Saint thing. That there is a planet that named Kolob that people go to. It's like a heaven. But I was like, how in the world did I miss this? I'm like, I'm really digging this song. I'm just really enjoying it, listening to it over and over. But it was twisted. Um, even some of our Christian songs have been adjusted. right? The, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir is not going to sing about the exclusive deity of, of Christ. They're going to change one or two words because they want to take away that deity portion. So you can sing some music and then realize, wait a second, that doesn't sound exactly like we used to sing it because someone has taken that message and changed it. So we, it's, it's, it's a trick, right? So many of these groups produce excellent music but with bad theology. Um, I don't want to hit any targets too hard, but the reality is you know who they are. There are certain music groups that come from very errant theology and we sing them and so if I was to say, like, let's sing this song up here, and then at the very bottom it said, Bethel Music. You would say, and if you're, and if you're not discerning, you would go to the Bethel webpage, or you'd go to their stuff, and you would start singing about grave sucking. And you would start saying, like, if you lay on the grave of a very spiritual person, you can suck in their spirituality, or whatever it is. Right? So that they have these different theologies or the health, wealth, prosperity. Like if you just give enough money, you're going to get these rewards or, or anything else. I, I, I don't want to go into detail, but you guys know the details. So we have to be very, very careful as to what we are listening to. And I would say that even about our secular music, because it's teaching us a world view, right? What is important? I just listened to a country song that talks about narcissism. Psychology is the religion of today. And I'm just like, why are we getting sucked into this worldview? Anyway, you off my pet horse, my hobby horse. 
So it trains us to think counter to the Bible. Now, I'm not going to make a list, but be discerning to the music that you listen to. Many modern songs have snuck in unbiblical ideas and beliefs that are half-truths, which really are whole lies. Right? They take a half-truth and they portray it as a truth and it's really a whole lie. But I'm going to be honest with you, if you look at our hymn book, there are songs that are not true in our hymn book. Even in our hymn book today, we have old songs that are unhelpful sometimes. So just be aware that just because it's in a hymn book, that doesn't mean that it's right. And I'm going to be honest, there's a bone I have to pick. I'm just going to go ahead and do this so that you guys can write me nasty emails later. Why do we have patriotic songs next to songs to the living, holy, perfect God? Why is that? Why is How Great Thou Art next to God Bless America? Who are we worshiping? Anyways, you know that's my pet peeve. And if you want to question my patriotism, I will send you to my DD-214, okay? I deployed four times to Iraq. I am a patriot. I love America, but I want you to know, when I come to church, I'm not here to worship this. I'm here to worship the living God, okay? I know that's what you are here for. So just be aware that just because it's in our hymn book doesn't mean that the theology is accurate or correct. Many of our hymn writers went on to be universalists or apostates themselves. So the, not, the thing that I like about the hymn book is that all those, do, those people that have written it are dead, so we already know their baggage. The new stuff, we don't know what they're going to do next, right? We do, some of these singers, they, they sing beautifully, they get really popular in Christian circles, and then they jump over to the secular world and renounce the faith, right? So just be aware, that's my bone to pick with music. I know this is kind of off, it feels like I'm going on a rabbit trail, I promise you, it all connects. So... You may wonder, is it really that serious? I go to a solid church. I listen to solid music. I don't read books by false teachers. But Jude seems to think that this is a very serious matter. So we also must take pains to carefully examining what or who is teaching us. Where are we getting our wisdom? Is it from man or the world? Do we watch a 90-day fiancé and think that's how relationships are supposed to work? Some of you get that reference. Before we move on to the purpose of the writing, we need to spend a few minutes discussing this common salvation that Jude mentions. So the next part, so he says, Dear friends, I was eager, I was very eager, I was, I'm just so happy to write to you about this, but i got to do something else. And he wanted to write about the salvation we share. The, the Greek word in there is koinonia, the common salvation, our common faith. He's passionate about the faith of Jesus Christ. Jude would like nothing better to keep talking about our common salvation, yet he must detour out of necessity. Now, this word, our common salvation, is used by the secular Greeks. Greeks would like to use, they use that word when they're talking about the security or safety of the state, right? The, uh, the, the local, the nation. So if I was to stand up and say, I'm here to talk to you about our common salvation, if I was a Greek, I would be talking about the security of the nation, right? Our cybernetic protections, our military prowess, our ability to, to, to make an army. 
but it also carries a very religious sense in this. And early Christians use it to refer to the eschatological deliverance through Jesus, the second coming. That's what they like to use this language for. The common salvation is referring to the coming of Jesus. So there's a corporate aspect to it. I mean, it's a togetherness, a common, a koinonia, a common salvation. If the ship sinks, we all go down with it. These false teachers are drilling holes in the boat, causing us to take on water. And eventually we sink. So we need to be alert and toss, metaphorically, the false teachers overboard. Right? We need to toss them out of the ship. So if someone came into our church and started teaching a different gospel, we're not to tolerate it, we're to eject it. And that's not pleasant, right? Nobody likes to do that. That's not a fun thing. But if we don't do that, our ship will sink. The more we allow false teaching to infiltrate the church, our local church and the big church, the more it's going to sink. As Jude is describing our salvation through Jesus Christ, that as a church we hold to be true, he says this trust in Jesus, who lived the perfect life, died as a sacrifice for us, and is now seated at the right hand of God, will one day return to judge the living and the dead. You know, this is a truth that the church has confessed from the very beginning. It is the faith that brings us together to worship. Like, I get excited to come to worship because I know that you're going to be here. Every single one of you and your voices worshiping the Lord. I, love, I really love that hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. That's my heart. Like, I just would like us all to go out into a field and gather every single Christian in the whole world into this big area and just praise the living God. And I know that heaven's going to look like that, but that's just such a beautiful picture of worship. And so that's what we long for. We gather here to sing as a small little outpost. As we bear each other's burdens, we, we, uh, we want to make it uncomfortable for people to be nominal Christians in our body. We want them to come here and be challenged and to worship the living God. Right? We want to be a community where it's hard for you to skip church every single Sunday. Right? We want you to have a phone call at the end of a couple weeks saying, Hey, we miss you. Where you been? Right? Because we care about you. We, we long for you. That's why membership is so important. Quick membership plug. Right? Because you're held accountable and someone is accountable for you. If you're a member of our church, I'm praying for you pretty close to daily. I'm spending 30 minutes praying for you specifically. Your name is on my lips before the mighty God. As a member, as a frequent attender, I try to pray for you as much as I can as well. But the reality is the members get the priority. And the same thing with our counseling. If you are a member of our church, you're, I'm fitting you in because it's an emergency and I need to get you. Whereas some people, I have a waiting list. And people are calling from Washington State asking for counseling. People are driving from Vail in Tucson for counseling. And they get put on a waiting list because you, are, you matter to the body. So this faith brings us together here to worship. It's, the, it's that faith that binds us together, one another, caring for and loving each other. But throughout Christian history, there has been threats to the faith, the system of doctrine that we believe. So early on, we have the Gnostics. They sought to trick people into thinking that there was a secret knowledge that you have to gain in order to be saved. So if you follow me long enough, I will give you the secret of just give me about a couple hundred bucks every week and I'll make sure that you know 
the secret to living your best life now, right? And there's this whole Gnosticism that the early church had to fight against. There was also a level of the body doesn't matter and the spirit, but we, we don't want to get into that yet. Later, a man named Arius said that Jesus was a created being, that he was not eternal. So the church had to formulate language to explain that Jesus was begotten of all eternity, not created, which clarifies the doctrine of the Trinity. So you may not see how big a deal this is, just off the top of your head, like what's the difference between begotten and created? It's a big deal. If Jesus is not co-eternal with God, meaning Jesus really couldn't have died for and taken the fullness of our sins since he is a created being. This false teaching is still alive and well today in the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're the main group that push this Arius position. Christians from the beginning confess that Jesus is truly God and truly man, or another way we like to say it is fully God, fully man, meaning he is not created. So to believe created Jesus is to believe in a false Jesus. If you believe that Jesus was created, you do not believe in the true Jesus. And I know that in your mind you're like, well, that's like playing with words. Yes, because our God is a God of words, and he's very particular how he wants us to worship him. You remember those two sons of Aaron who offered false fire. Strange fire is how the King James puts it. It's because God ordained a certain way to worship him, and those people decided they were going to do it their own way. And so we have the same reality. So we confess that Jesus was begotten, not created. Now this is proven all over the New Testament. Um, I'm just going to give you some really fast ones. John 20, 28, Thomas says, Jesus is my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't correct him. So if Jesus is not God, then he is false because he should have corrected someone for blaspheming. But he didn't correct him, so therefore he is God. Right? We have Acts 7.59 where Stephen prays to Jesus. And John 10.30 where Jesus claims, I and the Father are one. There's many more irrefutable, irrefutable proofs that we can put forth. And I don't have time. We've got to move fast. But we have Pelagius. We have Joseph Smith. We have Ellen G. White or the Muhammad and so many others. The reality today is that there are no new heresies, only new heretics. Right? There's no new heresies. These are all the same ones. They're just new heretics. All right? They're, they're like, we've discovered this truth. No, you just unearthed an old truth that was false. So what must be done about this threat? Well, he says, contend for the faith. And man, I, I could spend all day with this word contend. I promise you, I have spent a lot of time studying it. It is so fascinating. But he is saying that we need to agonize or fight or struggle for the faith. Contend, I think, really covers it. It's the same root word that we use in English for agonize. So Jude wants us to agonize for the faith, to exert great and intense effort on behalf of the faith. He want, Jude wants us to expend our effort for and on behalf of the faith. Remember, Paul likes to use this word in a similar fashion, right? And he talks about 
how it's like an athlete who is in the Olympic Games contending for a noble cause. The, uh, he, he seeks to compete in such a manner that he can win the trophy at the end. And we see that today for our athletes, right? Our athletes, they train and they compete. They train themselves for the competition. They exert maximum effort for the field or the court. They leave no ounce of energy left. They have fully strained their bodies to the maximum. How enjoyable would it be to go to watch a football game or a basketball game or some sport where the athletes at the end aren't even sweating? They're like, yeah, that was fun, but I'm not out of breath. You'd be like, this is the Super Bowl. You can't even work out for the Super Bowl? Like, you can't put maximum effort into this? But we have a lot of people in the church that are like that, don't we? Couch potato Christians. The church and you and I, we're called to expend effort for the faith. So what does it look like? 1 Timothy 6.12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he says to fight the good fight of faith and taking hold of eternal life. Romans 15.30 says, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to strive, the same kind of language, together with me in prayers to God on my behalf. How many of you have agonized in prayer? I like, I'm, like, I'm talking about putting the effort in prayer. Or do you like to chill, kick back, say a quick Hail Mary, and then call it a day? Philippians 1.27, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, not just of a worldly place, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or am absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. You're doing this together. How many times have you sat with someone else and cried tears and prayed with them over a situation in their life. That's what contending together for the faith looks like. I don't know how many marriages I have cried tears over in the last three years, but I could tell you right now, it's a lot. Or in people who, I don't even know their kids, and I've cried tears over that. I don't even know their situation. I don't even know this person, but they are hurting, so I'm hurting. Right? That's what it looks like to contend for the faith. It's not a defensive action. It is an offensive action. This is something that we do. We're promoting the gospel's advance and victory, fought not just verbally, but as a way of life that is faithful to the gospel. So the way you live your life is how you are contending for the gospel. Right? It's not just enough to sit here and debate the atheist and crush them on social media. Right? It doesn't matter what you say if your life looks like the devil. Uh, I saw on, on Facebook, someone said the, math, the, the Christian math is simple. If they say they are a Christian, you have one person who says they are a Christian, and that same person lives like the devil, that equals a non-believer, right? The, the math is pretty simple. If they say they're Christians, but they live like Satan, they're not a believer. It's pretty simple. So Jude is exhorting us to contend for the faith by living the Christian life. 
and in service to the gospel. And to do this, you have to resist the influence of false teachers because the false teachers betray the gospel and lead others to do the same. So the purpose of this letter is not just to, uh, you know, to, to criticize false teachers. He does that. But he's, he's telling the people that he's writing to, the beloved believer, Christian, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith in your life. Contend for the faith in your church. To do that, he tells us in verses 20 through 23, which we will get to in probably seven weeks as I keep preaching through this. Living a God-honoring life in pursuit of Jesus Christ and seeking to be like Jesus and transformed into His likeness. That is how you are contending. You are contending for holiness. Contending to be set apart because there's a danger in this false doctrine. This false doctrine will make us prone to compromise or get lazy. He wants us to be lazy. So the question I want to ask you is how... Now remember, I have another point to this, so just beware. I'm not ending. How are you contending for the faith? Are you putting sin to death? Are you pursuing gospel truth? Are you living your life in light of what you know to be true from the Word of God? You know, many of us would say that we would die for the gospel. We look at these other countries where Christians are being killed for their faith. But there's people in this room that won't even live for the gospel. You say that you're going to die for it, but you won't even live for it. You won't make your husband more important than yourself. You won't make your wife more important than yourself. You won't even open the door for somebody at church. But you say you will die for the gospel? The gospel is being a doormat for Jesus. Anyways, you know where I'm going. Delivered to the saints. What does this mean? Jude gives us a picture of the nature of faith. Now he's not talking about having faith. right? He says, contend for the faith. Particular, singular. It's a particular faith. It's a body of doctrine or beliefs about something. It is the content of what is believed. Galatians 1.23, Paul uses the same term making it the equivalent of the Christian message. This is the Christian message. And so I'm not going to go to that passage, but I just want to let you know he uses the faith. Because some people will say, well, there was no body of faith at this time when Jude was writing. Well, maybe not a substantial written document that declared every doctrine, but I will tell you that there is a particular aspect of the Christian faith. There is a faith that is distinguished from other faiths. It's called faith because the message demands faith. The message is something we respond to by faith. So first is singular. I already talked a little bit about that. There's not a systemization of words that make up the faith. There's not been a collection of independent churches deciding what belief is. I think we can look at our Bibles and say it is the complete message of God's salvation of Jews and Gentiles through the blood of Jesus Christ or more closely, the saving work of Jesus Christ in His life, death, and resurrection. And what it takes to be saved is to trust this Jesus. That's what the, the basics of the faith is, that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. No other Jesus. 
no other works. It is only the works of Christ that saves us. His work on the cross is imputed to us. It's given to us. It's placed on us. And that's where all the heresies break off, don't they? Because some will say you have to work. Some will say that there's a different Jesus or Jesus had a brother. He's a created being. They meddle with the Trinity. This is where it all breaks down. How are you saved? By trust and trusting Christ alone. You know, we could add the letters from the apostles that make up what we know to be the New Testament as the faith. Um, this is the faith that we are to contend for. It's instructions, it's commands, and essentially we do that by living like and for Christ based on the message that God has given us directly. Jude declares that the faith that we are to contend for is entrusted to the church. Not a church, but the church, universal. Not the Roman Catholic Church or the Orthodox Greeks Church or the Baptists of the South or the Baptists of the North or the Baptists of the East or the West or whatever Baptists that they are or every independent church gets to make up their own faith. No, it says that we are living like and for Christ, based on the Word of God. And so when he says saints once for all, he means all believers. All believers are entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ through the message here in this passage. It's not a special type of person. When he says the saints, he is literally saying the holy ones, which is what the church is made up of. If you are a believer, you are a saint, counter to some church's positions. The church is entrusted with this faith. We have a divine deposit, a gift that we are entrusted with. That gift is the faith delivered to the saints once for all. And just like um, some of our early American forebearers would say, freedom is only one generation away from being lost. Well, that's the same with the faith. Now, I don't believe that we will ever lose the faith, but I think that we can compromise the faith very deeply if we are not contending for it. So the church is entrusted. We have a deposit given by God in which we are to contend for. And the way that the early church did this was by crafting statements or summaries of the faith. So one of the earliest ones that we have is called the Apostles' Creed. It's not written by the apostles, counter to its title. right? It is an early formulation of what we believe. In fact, if you grab your hymn book, and I'm going to ask you to do that. Turn over to 716 in your handbook, because we're going to read this summary of the faith together. I know it sounds so Catholic, doesn't it? We're going to turn to it, and we're going to read this summary together. And this is not Scripture, but it accords with Scripture. This is something new. We haven't done this a lot, but we're going to affirm the faith that we believe together. So does everybody have 716? If you have it, just go ahead and look at me so I know. All right, everybody got a hymn book? Anybody not have a hymn book? Anybody have it memorized? All right, so this version says this, the Apostles' Creed, and then I want you to say it with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The next one is my favorite, the Nicene Creed, but we won't go there today. But that's where they deal with the Trinitarian language. So, that is the faith that we confess, that we believe. That's the faith that we are to contend for. What is contained in the Word of God is our faith that we contend for. It is what we are not contentious for. We're not jerks for Jesus about this, but we contend for it by living holy lives and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. And that's your commission this week, to go into all the world, and that's probably your family, and declare to them the truth of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Can we do that this week? All right, let's pray. Father, your word is truth. Lord, we have this deposit that we have been entrusted to. We are to be stewards of what you have given us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to think rightly of this. Father, if there is anything interfering with the faith of this flock, that you would remove it, that we would be so passionate about following Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture, that we would put to death anything contrary. Lord, that if something causes us to sin, that we would be radical in our amputation of it. Lord, if it's Netflix or HBO or Disney Channel or whatever it is that could distract us, Facebook, social media, Lord, I pray that we would be bold in contending for the faith, that we would cut off anything that is turning us from the living God, whether it be good things or bad, that we would turn to you and that we would be changed as we look upon the glory of Jesus Christ and we're changed from one grade of glory to the next. Father, we, we thank you for this letter in Jude. Thank you for the timeliness of it for us, that we would contend for the faith once for all, deliver to the saints. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us. We pray for blessings as we leave this place, that we would be gospel people, that we would be sharing the good news of Christ, that we would, we would reject false doctrine, false teaching, because it detracts from you, because it makes Christ out less than who he is in Scripture, the glory of the invisible God. Father, we thank you for Christ and his mercy upon us by dying on the cross. Thank you for the spirit that illuminates our minds and our hearts as we study your word. Father, we ask these things in the name of Christ that you would uh, bless us and, and, and guide us moving forward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.